Hello, everyone, and welcome into another edition of Coach Time. It's been a little bit of a hiatus for me. I'm your host, John Lyons, but I am back, and I have the pleasure of being joined by Andrew Callahan. He covers the Patriots in the NFL for the Boston Herald. Andrew, I appreciate you taking the time. You got it, John. Happy Friday. Yeah, of course. And you can also see Andrew on NBC Sports Boston quite a bit as well. He's always around. So make sure you check him out and follow him. Andrew, I want to get your thoughts on where the Patriots are now and, and where they're going to be moving forward. But first, quick peek back. Obviously, I think right now the two biggest topics around the Patriots are the third overall pick and then a documentary series on their dynasty called The Dynasty on Apple+. Plus. I just want to get your thoughts. As someone that's covered the team, you've been around them for several years, just kind of general thoughts on the dynasty. Like, were you surprised to see something like this made? Are there any really, and right now, as we record this, the first four episodes have come out covering pretty much everything through the first six or seven years, to the end of the 2007 season. Is there anything you're looking forward to maybe learning about in future episodes? Just kind of just some general thoughts. I would say, you know, some of the last episodes and not because it's the fall of the dynasty or time that I even covered. I joined the beat in 2018 and first worked in mass live. It's just I think a lot of that hasn't been unearthed as much as you saw in the early dynasty when Michael Holly is in every single room and car that Belichick was in from 2001 to 2002, taking us all even 2003, you know, where Belichick went, where the team was, how it grew, how it came together. And some of that gets lost in legend. So it, it is nice to revisit you know, even just the fissure between the crafts and Bill Parcells, right? Like that episode really showed like, you know, there's still steam coming out of Jonathan Kraft's ears thinking about that time. And that's something you think would wash away and it hasn't. And partly explains maybe why Parcells is not in the team's Hall of Fame. But more than that, you know, the, the bombshell ESPN article in 2017, right? When you're figuring out everything's wrong with Alex Guerrero and Jimmy G and the trade and all this different stuff. Like there hasn't been as much um, besides that piece and some of the work we've done at the Herald speaks to this, but around the Brady Belichick, obviously Malcolm Butler, like that's the stuff I, I want to learn. Yeah. And I agree with you. And one thing that I've been really impressed with in the early episodes is the level of detail, especially when it comes to the people they've interviewed, like they interviewed the surgeon that operated on Drew Bledsoe when he was, you know, went to the hospital after his injury, they, they interviewed, you know, people that let the police officer that confiscated the Spygate tapes. Like that's something that I'm looking forward to when we get to 2014, 2016. And you mentioned that kind of end the fissure between the three pillars of the dynasty, you know, who can they get there and some of those revelations. So I think it's going to be great, you know, and something to look forward to, obviously, and maybe we'll have some deeper discussions about that once it's all out there. But I want to shift to where the team is right now, Andrew, because I think the Patriots are in a really intriguing spot, right? So the salary cap numbers have come out today. The salary cap is going to make a significant jump. The Patriots might be able to find their way to having a hundred million dollars in cap space. And I know it comes down to real cash spending, but still a lot of money to spend. They have the third overall pick, but the other side of having the third overall pick, they have high picks in not just the first round, second round, third, right? They have high picks in every round. They're going to have three picks in the top 90 or top 80, I think. So they're in a great position to move themselves forward. Problem is you look at this team and I can say, hey, they have a playoff caliber defense. They have the opposite of that on offense and special teams, and they've hired new coordinators. So it's a lot, Andrew, right? But if you were looking at where they go with this cap space, with this cash to spend, with Alex Van Pelt at offensive coordinator, do you see a direction you think they might go in free agency, especially offensively, at least to start off? 
So when you look at where Alex Van Pelt came from, because he's told us, hey, I'm going to run the Browns offense. It won't be identical, but it'll be pretty similar. And you look how those offenses operated. First of all, they were one of the leaders in, in running the ball in neutral situations, right? Not just when you're ahead, not when it's first and 10. Neutral situations, running the ball, high play action rate. And they had an excellent offensive line. You have not been able to say the Patriots have had an excellent offensive line since maybe 2018, that last Super Bowl run. And so it's not only you need to plug what's been a two-year revolving door at right tackle. It's just if you want to accomplish anything, particularly with what we have to be a young quarterback or running the ball, you need to win the line of scrimmage. And it is a thinner class in free agency than I think the team would like, especially if Mike Gunwenu is not going to return, as Jeremy Fowler said the team expects. Uh, he reported about that last, last month, I believe. You got to invest up front, and you might feel good about David Andrews and Cole Strange. But if Trent Brown is gone, as is on Wenu, you have to replace him, and ideally immediately. They still could draft a tackle there, but I just look at what we've heard from the Patriots, what they've needed with respect to the past, and how you're going to establish yourself moving forward. It's it's it sounds cliche, right? Like there's nothing older than you got to win the line of scrimmage, big physical football. But that's what this is going to be because of the coaches they've hired and what they where they failed at more recently. Yeah, and I would agree. And, and like the Onwenu thing kind of baffles me, right? This is a guy that you drafted in as a rookie in 2020, one of the best right tackles in the NFL. You didn't keep him there. Then you finally put him back there last year, and he really stabilized things at right tackle. And your point about Alex Van Pelt and his willingness to run the ball, like they also, Cleveland last year used 11 personnel, the third most in the NFL. So you're going to, you need to have two tackles if you want to run a bunch of 11 personnel. Like, why not re-sign this guy? And then, yeah, maybe add a left tackle in free agency or in the first two rounds of the draft. And then you're in a much better position. Like, I understand if you want to move on from Trent Brown. I get it, the way things ended. But, like, Trent Brown played really well for at least the first couple months of the year. And then he got injured and things started to fall off the rails. But, like, you need to replace that. And so, to me, on when it was a no-brainer to bring back. And I, I find it baffling if they don't. And, and your point about... You know, you need to address this spot not just once, but maybe twice if Onwenu leaves. So do you think they would lean more towards, hey, we're going to address tackle with established NFL guys? Or do you think they would look at pick number three or early in the second round and say, hey, we're going to go tackle there and pair him maybe with one other veteran moving forward? I think you'll definitely see them draft and sign an offensive tackle just based on the depth that they have, right? And you're excluding Onwenu and Brown from those conversations. And part of this, though, you know, which is, I think, settling in now, the reality of where the Patriots are. Like, we've all, we all watched them go 29 and 39 over the last four years. But when it comes to coaches or now soon to be recruiting players, free agents, the Patriots need to make an extra pitch because before you got a discount, right? You're going to play with Tom Brady. You're going to get coached by Bill Belichick. You're probably going to the Super Bowl. All of that, of course, is out the window. And in place of it is a tax, okay? You need to pay me more to come play in Foxborough, Massachusetts, as opposed to New York or Miami or San Francisco or Chicago or anywhere in Texas. The taxes are higher. It's a new head coach. I'm not saying this to bring everybody down. I'm just saying this is the reality of the market where we saw the 12th guy out of 12 get hired to be their offensive coordinator when the first 11 either said no or the Patriots you know, said no themselves. So with Mike Onwenu, he just might not want to come back. But whether he does or not, I expect him to sign a capable starting offensive tackle. Uh, again, that's a wide range of like bottom of the league or the top of the league and then draft one within the first three rounds. Yeah, and that's a great point because to me there's two things that motivate guys to sign really in any sport, but especially in the NFL, winning and money. Patriots haven't been winning too much the last couple of years, so they got to bring that money piece to the table. And you mentioned Alex Van Pelt, the 12th out of 12th choice. I'm curious as to your thoughts on this coaching staff because I look at it as on defense, 
I feel like they got their first choice at defensive coordinator. A lot of their position coaches was their first choice. They bring back Mike Pellegrino, Brian Belichick, which I think is really valuable. But then on offense and special teams, doesn't feel like they got their first choice in a lot of like their special teams coordinator wasn't their first choice. I think they would have ideally had Marquise Williams there. You mentioned Alex Van Pelt. I think they would have had Zach Robinson or Nick Cayley, ideally. And even some of the position coaches, like offensive line, we heard several different names before they hired Scott Peters. And I think he's a good old line coach, but it's it doesn't feel like on offense and special teams they got their first choice in a lot of do you get that sense and kind of your thoughts on, on the staff as a whole? I do. I, I think it's more, you know, the outsiders didn't get their first choice because you're going like TC McHu is the quarterback's coach and he was yeah. coaching tight ends last year. And then Scott Peters was a player in the mid 2000s and now he's only been an assistant. And this Robert Kugler guy's coming around. Mike McCarthy's son is walking right behind him. Like, what's going on here? I would say, though, because, you know, I've had conversations with people in the media, which, hey, this isn't to say we know all that much more. But you talk about the lack of experience. Tyler Hughes, basically a, a quality control coach working yeah. with the O-line tight ends and receivers the last three years, gets promoted in place of Troy Brown. And he's been here uh, as now the receivers coach. I think this staff is still better than the one they had last year. And I think it's certainly better than the one with Matt Patricia and Joe Judd, where you had more experience you know, in certain spots. And even Bill O'Brien came in with the tenure, but his offense fell apart relative to that Patricia Judge operation. So Overall, yes. Am I underwhelmed by this staff? Sure. There aren't many big names or guys that were probably coveted in multiple spots. But A, it doesn't mean it can't work. And B, it's still better than what the Patriots were used to. So yeah, there's probably a hard cap of this team is not going to be a top 12 offense moving forward. But for now, you just got to get out of the basement. Yeah, yeah. It's a funny story about Tyler Hughes. When I coached at Bridgewater State, I gave him and his son a campus tour. We were recruiting his no, son. No kidding. Yeah. And if I got to be honest with you, if not for that tour... I wouldn't probably know what he looks like outside of the media guy. Like your point about the unknown, like I was thinking hire Chad O'Shea, go get a guy like that. But also that may not be a fit for kind of what they want to run as well. And the other piece to this, right? So you bring in this new staff, you have Gerard Mayo, you have Elliot Wolf, who it seems like is making a lot of the key decisions in the front office. And I know Matt Groh is there. I know Robin Glazer has been in on some coordinator interviews and been involved in some of this stuff, but Elliot Wolf's a guy that I find really interesting because comes from Green Bay, a team that traditionally drafts really well, stocks themselves really well, doesn't do a ton of dabbling in free agency, though. Now he's sitting here. You have $100 million in cap space, also have high draft picks. What are your expectations for Elliot Wolf this offseason? So I think Elliot, just like Alex Van Pelt, is going to raise the floor, right? There's going to be a competency, an understanding, a network, uh, a wealth of ideas that you don't have for most people in New England who only came up through the Patriots, which worked for a while when Bill Belichick was at the top. Bill Belichick, of course, gone. So you need to bring in some fresh faces, some new blood. And Elliot has been here for the last four years. But it's my understanding that, you know, just like everyone else in that building, they went by with what Bill said. You make your pitch, you make your case. If he doesn't listen, that's it. And so for Elliot, who comes from a different school of thought, 14 years in Green Bay, two is an assistant GM in Cleveland, and then comes to a Patriot system that was completely foreign to him. And now they're going to go back to that Packers grading system. That's a lot of change coming in here. Now, change is not always easy, but I think when you look at those Green Bay drafts, and this was brought up by Daniel Jeremiah yesterday when we talked with him on a conference call, Green Bay kind of goes by the board, which is not a bad thing. Like the Patriots would take all these big swings and misses, and, and sometimes it was Tyquan Thornton, other times it was Sebastian Bulmer. Times it was Jordan Richards. I don't think the Patriots will be as obsessed with the fit. You've got to fit Bill. You just need to be a good player who's the best on the board, you know, and teams will disagree, 
But I think Elliott, with that kind of approach, is going to raise the floor of this front office, which is obviously built, you know, right now, one of the least talented rosters in the league. Yeah, and it's funny you brought up the Taekwon Thornton name because a lot of people, myself included, they look at you, know, you drafted Nikhil Harry instead of Debo Samuel or AJ Brown. And that look, that was a killer. But the Taekwon Thornton piece, I, I think, is interesting because you had George Pickens there. And like Taekwon Thornton has all these better measurables and the relative athletic score and all that. But like you watch them play, and George Pickens is the better football player. And he was in college and he is in the NFL. And so that's what I wonder if Elliot Wolf will look at and just be like, Okay, like this guy's just the better football player. We're gonna and I again, it sounds obvious and it sounds simple, but it's something that I think you know early on in Belichick's tenure they were really good about draft. Like you know, Richard Seymour in two thousand one was the best football player available, and obviously he was a cornerstone of the dynasty. And that's one example, but they were really good at that for many years. Rob Gronkowski, another great example. Donta Hightower, great. Last few years, it felt like they got away from doing that, maybe necessarily. Yeah, a little too cute. And it's funny you bring yeah. up the tape part because my understanding, again, is Elliot it does not lean very much into analytics. Like, this is still yeah. very much the tape over everything. That's our evaluation. How do you play football? And that sounds simplistic, but college is very different. As you know, when you go from the hashes, some of the concepts, you know, sure. how you can play defense when the quarterback's really not making that far hash throw in the deep out 15 yards downfield. You could cheat a little bit. There's no cheating in the NFL. So there is a projection to this. Even if you are the best college player, if athletically you're a little bit more limited relative to other players of your position in the NFL, it's going to show. But for Elliott, again, leaning on the tape, meaning this doesn't have to be so complicated. We don't have to fit or chase traits, which I think they did with guys who had high relative athletic scores, Cole yeah. Strange, Taekwon Thornton, Marcus Jones, all had issues yeah. with them. Um, and, and look, no player is perfect, but you understood small school prospect, real thin guy five of a corner it's like these are top picks and with obvious red flags yeah. i think you're going to have obvious top picks with obviously some concerns or imperfections but you're going to understand why they took them there yeah it, it felt like they tried to go with the relative athletic score metric in 2022 and they just went too far with it like it's okay if it's a piece of the puzzle but like when you're basing your cole strange and taekwon thornton picks on that like that's not really what you're looking. I mean, I think even Andrew Stuber in the sixth round, like had a really good relative athletic score. And I know it's a six round pick, but it's like, I feel like they went too far with that. And maybe they're going to pull back more. And which again, felt like with Christian Gonzalez and Ke like those guys, you know, good, good athletes, obviously, but also like just good football players. So hopefully they're trending more towards that. And, and on that, like Matt Groh to me, he's a guy. And, and I know you're there every day. You cover the team. I felt like he kind of skated without that much blame for their roster over the last couple of years. And, and I'm not saying he was never criticized. I know you did. I know other people did, but Belichick was the final decision maker and it was ultimately his responsibility. And it's a major part of why he's no longer the head coach, but Matt Groh was in charge of their scouting front office for a 2022 draft that you really have nothing to show for right now. I mean, outside and look, Cole Strange was better, I think, towards the end of the year before he got injured, but still, it's not a first round pick. Marcus Jones, I think, has potential, but that's about it. I mean, is this, is he someone that, like, do you think he's here for the long term? Because it feels like he got stepped over for Elliot Wolf to run the show in the personnel department. Is this going to be a guy that's going to take a backseat to Wolf? Is he going to be here long term? Or if Belichick gets a job next year, is that kind of where Macro ends up? It's a good question. There's there's a lot there. But first of all, he did get left over. No question about that. Like yeah. Elliot Wolf is as I've been told, you know, has roster control. He's the de facto GM. And Grow might not even be the number two. It, it might be Pat Stewart, who's another guy who spent time 
outside the organization after coming up with the Patriots. He's been with the Eagles. He's been with the Panthers, came back last year, has been on the pro side. And just that, I think, is what the, the crafts are valuing now. Who has outside perspective? Also just didn't learn at Bill's knee and had all the lessons and knowledge and started to agree with him and become a yes man, which isn't to say they all were, but they're trying to get away from that. Um, and so for Macro, it'll be interesting because this is a guy who I profiled a couple of years ago right when he took that title. And the intro to that story was Belichick proclaiming at the owners meetings in 2022, already right after hiring Mac Rowe, he's as good as anyone we've had in that position. And that list includes Dave Ziegler, Nick Casario, and Scott Pioli, who of course we all know from the dynasty is now the greatest GM ever, um, or was once upon a time. Yeah. <laughs> and so that, that shocked me. Obviously the drafts, as you said, do, do not bear that out whatsoever. It's just very hard to parse out the blame between Grow and Bill, understanding Bill is a GM, something that, Macro has said himself. I will say this, though. If he is content working basically as a number two or number three, maybe the head of the college county department, and Elliot is content with him there, this is a guy, also I learned in the profile, who came up before Belichick as a kid, you know, glorifying the Patriots, going to training camp with his dad, Al Groh, who was an assistant yep. in the 90s under Bill Parcells, and was all about everything New England. That was his team. And the way that his older brother, Mike Groh, who's a receivers coach for the Giants and loves being in New York, was a Giants fan when Mike grew up in the 80s and was a son of Al Gro, obviously, who worked under Bill Parcells down in New York. So if Bill leaves, Macro is a Belichick loyalist. But if that means moving again in three years, he might just do the calculus of, I like it here. I've got a steady job. I, I might want to stay. Yeah, and even though he's been stepped over now, that doesn't preclude him from eventually getting a top job if Elliot Wolf were to leave or another team were to have an opening down the line as well. I want to kind of wrap things up here and we're talking to Andrew Callahan of the Boston Herald of course and I appreciate your time when you I look at this Patriots roster I look like I look at a playoff level defense right they were seventh in yards per game last year they were 15th in points per game but their offense allowed 38 points on turn on pick sixes and fumble you take those 38 points out the Pats would have been eighth in points per game so it's they were put in a lot of bad spots yet. And even if like, if you like the EPA number, they, they graded out well, they're good in the red zone. I look at a playoff level defense. I look at an offense. It's pretty far away. So we've talked about tackle. We've talked about hey, what do you do? But then I look at receiver is a massive need. Tight end could be depending on what happens with Hunter Henry. And then of course, quarterback. So when you look ahead to them at three overall, are you looking at this as, Hey, take a quarterback, trade down or take Marvin Harrison Jr. Take Olu Fashanu at three and just get a cornerstone piece and worry about quarterback either later on next year or a veteran. Like where do they go? Because I think, again, I look, I see a playoff defense. I see an offense that is the opposite of that and has a lot of work to do. We talked about tackle, but what do you do there at, at three overall? Quarterback. Yeah. I mean, it, it's that simple for me. And, and we can talk about it's a quarterback driven league and all the Super Bowl winners or teams that get to the Super Bowl and who those quarterbacks have been. And there are always exceptions to the rule. Like that, that's just how it is in football and life, whatever it might be. But the power and influence of that position, like you can do so much more with less around you if you get the quarterback right. But when he becomes a liability and you have a talented roster around him, provided it's not littered with pro bowlers a la San Francisco. It's so obvious because you need to beat good teams in order to get into the playoffs. And to advance to the playoffs, you need to beat great teams. You're not doing that with an average quarterback. And so we've seen this the last four years. Like the evidence in here is, you know, Mac Jones and Cam Newton, and Bailey Zappi. You missed the playoffs three of the last four years. And sure, the skill talent around them, none of them was very good. But in those same years, as you just said, playoff caliber defense in 2023, 
playoff caliber defense in 2022, playoff caliber defense in 21, where they got there. 21, 2020 wasn't so great, but there's a lot more going on there with COVID and the cap and yeah. all these different things. So I, I, you just got to go quarterback. And if you don't, I would say trade back because you need to accumulate assets for this roster that is so depleted everywhere else that just adding a Marvin Harrison or an offensive tackle is not going to do as much if you fall back, take the second or third best receiver, and then add an extra first-round pick next year, an extra second-round pick this year, and maybe a fourth or a fifth so you start to fill in those holes. Because one player at three, unless it's a quarterback, is not going to be worth that kind of haul. Yeah, I agree. Like To me, you, you mentioned the last four years in New England. Look at the last 15 Super Bowl champions. 11 of them had bona fide star quarterbacks. And the other four, I mean, one was Russell Wilson with the Legion of Boom. The other was Eli Manning in 2011, who had won a Super Bowl. 2012, we know how great Joe Flacco played. He played like a star in those playoffs. And so did Nick Foles in 2017. Like, you have to have good quarterback play. Yeah, and two of those guys, you know, for better or worse, Russell Wilson and Eli Manning might be in the Hall of Fame someday. Yeah, so, like, that was yeah, a that's, different part of their career. But, like, yeah. that's what it is. Yeah, like Russell Wilson may have not been a star in 2013. He developed into one, and, and even that year he was really good. So, yeah, I agree. And, like, to me, the I think the biggest question they need to answer is what do they think of Jaden Daniels? Because if they like him, I think you take him at three. Because assuming Williams and May are – like, take him at three. And if they don't like him, then trade down and, and accumulate assets and then take a quarterback somewhere. But to me, that's the biggest question – they have to answer their right because the biggest question was what are they going to do with head coach they answered that the next biggest question now is what do they think of him because i think that's going to swing what they do in the draft but that could swing the top of the draft. if they really like Jaden daniels i wouldn't be shocked if they traded up to make sure they got him if they like him more than may you know you never yeah, know I, I wouldn't forget about may because i at least yeah. you know maybe it's just the last week and i just came back from a quick vacation and i've only you know initiated my film study with caleb williams and drake may and Jaden daniels but I, there's a little bit more conversation about daniels at two so I think you have to be prepared either sure. way of whether it's Drake May or Jaden Daniels. If you have a strong preference, yeah, maybe you have a call with Washington to see if, hey, if they like all three, they'll slide back. It will still be a steep price, but it, it's really how comfortable are you with both of them? And if it's only one, then you work your contingency plans from there. But but it, it's hard to find anyone, media or otherwise, that has those three guys outside of their top 10 and often yeah. outside of the top five. So to me, that says they're ready. Once you get the background information done, which is key for a quarterback. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I think you just might be willing to take whoever's left over. Yeah, I, I agree. And like, I've heard a narrative of like, oh, well, what if you draft him and he gets beat up and, and you ruin him? Like, you know, you ruin Mac. Well, if you're not, just sit him for a year. Like, yeah, you'd have to bite the bullet. But if you really have the guy in the long run, it'll be worth it. Like, I, I just, again, if you, you, the goal is you're never going to have a top three pick again, right? Or at least not for a very long time. So, that's the goal there. He is Andrew Callahan. Andrew, tell the people where they can find you. Sure. Uh, everything's on Twitter, at or X, call it whatever you want, at underscore Andrew Callahan, C-A-L-L-A-H-A-N. My podcast is the Pat's Interference, P-A-T-S, Pat's Interference Podcast. I'm at the Herald, and as you mentioned, on NBC Sports Boston about once a week. So, uh, yeah, basically all those places and sometimes a little bit more. And Andrew does a terrific job, so make sure if you don't already – you follow him. Andrew, I really appreciated the discussion and the time. Thanks so much. Not a problem, John. Have a good weekend.